This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. Last week I was talking about the checkered career of fish and chips. This week I propose to talk about the challenging career of women in science frankly this is in view of uh, 11th of february coming up which since 2015 is celebrated as the international day of women and girls in science in order to achieve full and equal access to and participation in science for women and girls United Nations General Assembly declared 11th of February as the International Day of Women and Girls and they started celebrating this day since 2015 so the idea really is to recognize the role of women and girls in science not only as beneficiaries but also as agents of change Now it's a matter of fact that there is a significant gender gap throughout the years at all levels of science technology engineering and mathematics disciplines even though women have made tremendous progress towards uh, increasing their participation in higher education they're still severely underrepresented in these fields take this um, update for instance on 14th of march the commission on the status of women adopted a report in its 55th session with conclusions on access and participation of women and girls in education training and uh, science and technology now it came up with a number of statistics some of them are extremely familiar perhaps but not um, in the form of statistics but as observations women are typically given smaller research grants than their male colleagues they represent only 33.3% of all researchers but only 12% of members of national science academies are women in cutting edge fields such as artificial intelligence only one in five professionals is a woman female researchers typically tend to have shorter less well paid careers their work is underrepresented in high profile journals and they often passed over for promotions i was remembering a film that uh, i saw the other day called hidden figures it's about uh, three african american women in uh, the space research programs of the us i strongly recommend the film some of you would have already seen it but today i'll be talking about uh, a band of women who set up and ran a hospital which was manned entirely by women during the first world war This is the story I'd like you to tell today. Take for instance this story of creation and uh, use of opportunities by women when war broke out 
and the ways in which they served society as indeed um, delivering the fruits of science to society in times of a major crisis. When war broke out in August 1914, women were just as eager as men to do their bit. But female doctors who volunteered their service to the war office, war office of Britain, uh, we are talking about here, were rejected. More than 1,000 women had qualified in medicine since um, 1865, when Elizabeth Garrett Anderson became the first woman trained in Britain to join the medical register. But nearly five decades uh, had passed, and they were still confined to treating women as children. They were effectively barred from jobs in general hospitals. War provided an opportunity to prove that they were just as capable as their male colleagues. Louisa Garrett Anderson was uh, the daughter of Elizabeth Garrett Anderson and Flora Murray were the first to seize this opportunity. They were doctors both, of course, and suffragettes. Anderson and Murray did not waste their time offering their skills to the army. Instead, just eight days after Britain declared war on Germany, they approached the French Red Cross. The French Red Cross immediately accepted their help. They now rallied friends and comrades from the suffragette movement and raised 2,000 pounds for medical equipment, recruited a team of fellow doctors, nurses, and orderlies, and dressed them out in military-style uniform. Then, on 15th of September, they set off from Victoria Station for Paris. The unit had 14 women and four male nurses. Now, there were other female doctors, of course. They had begun raising funds and recruiting staff for similar expeditions. The Scottish Women's Hospitals, which was led by Surgeon Elsie English, was busy organizing teams of women to set up hospitals in France, Serbia, and later Russia. The NHS Louisa Jordan Hospital in Glasgow is in fact named after one of the SWH nurses who died in Serbia. But Murray and Anderson's Women's Hospital Corps was the first woman-led medical unit to leave for France. When they arrived in Paris, the women were um, lodged in a luxury hotel, Hotel Claridge, as their emergency hospital. Now, the hotel was brand new. It was never opened. So, it had no lighting, heating, or hot water. Even the plaster on its walls was still damp. In less than 48 hours, the cause had turned the dining rooms into wards and set up 100 camp beds. The ladies' cloakroom was converted into an operation theater. With a fish kettle for a sterilizing unit, the grill room designed for rich guests to linger over steak and claret 
became a mortuary. The same evening, 50 wounded men arrived on stretchers and the surgical team walked through the night. Murray was a physician and an anesthetist and Anderson was a surgeon. They were awfully unprepared. They had no experience of military surgery and had never operated on men. But then, the scale and complexity of the wounds they saw, the majority with gangrene, were new to all surgeons. And I quote, The shell injuries are dreadful, and the men come to us worn out after days in the trenches. Unquote. Anderson later told her mother, I quote again, The cases come to us very septic, and the wounds are terrible. Unquote. They rose to the challenge with alacrity and efficiency. British Army officials who came to observe the novelty of a women-run hospital were quickly convinced of their proficiency. Two months later, the women's hospital course opened a second hospital in a small hotel near Boulogne, which they converted at similar speed into a 60-bed unit. This time, they won official status, and it became the first women-run medical unit sanctioned by the army. Early in 1915, Murray and Anderson were summoned to the war office, where Sir Alfred Keogh, head of the Royal Army Medical Corps, invited them to run a major military hospital in central London. After closing their units in France, they set to doing it with customary gusto. In March, the women were given a five-story former workhouse in Endell Street, Covent Garden. It was filled with debris and broken furniture. Electric lighting, lifts and cooking facilities had to be installed and everywhere cleared, cleaned and painted. It was indescribable chaos, Murray later wrote. Yet, despite the support of the army's top doctor, they met with hostility and obstruction from the war office. When they arrived to inspect the site, they were greeted by an RAMC cordel who blotted, and I quote, Good God, women! Unquote. After weeks of slow progress, Murray and Anderson insisted on taking charge of convention workers themselves. They recruited 100 staff members, including 14 doctors, 29 trained nurses, and more than 80 orderlies. All of them were women. RAMC, however, supplied 20 men. By early May, Endell Street Military Hospital had 17 wards, an operating theatre and an X-ray room, as well as a theatre and a library with 5,000 books. Aware from their experience in France that the men were, and I quote, more wounded in their minds than in their bodies, unquote, Murray and Anderson ensured the wards were homely and cheerful, with bright quills and fresh flowers. The green exercise yard was turned into a tranquil green vasus. Yet, 
When the first wounded arrived on 12th of May, which was two weeks earlier than expected, Walkman was still on site and cutlery had to be hurriedly hired in. Endel Street stayed open throughout the war, treating 26,000 patients who arrived in convoys, often in the middle of the night. The hospital, manned by women, was hailed a triumph by the press and described by its patients as the best in London. Its doctors performed more than 7,000 major operations and pioneered medical advances. When the war ended, Endel Street stayed open for a further year, treating the victims of the influenza pandemic. It finally closed in late 1919. Roughly 100 years ago, a band of intrepid women went over and took charge of hospitals and started treating the injured men in the war. What was the day like? How were these women recruited? Let me conclude with the story of one of uh, such recruits. Nina Last was shown to her dormitory in the staff quarters known as the barracks, a dismal room with eight narrow beds and one tiny window. It was filled with the stench of the post-mortem room below, as well as an incinerator. With typical wartime irony, the room was nicknamed the Murray. Ever since uh, she had heard about the plans to open Endel Street Military Hospital, Nina Last, who was 20 years old, had been determined to walk there. Her younger sister, Barbara, who was 18 at the time, had already been recruited straight from school as a nursing orderly. Now, these girls were brought up in Buckinghamshire, the daughter of a vicar, Nina, was the eldest of four children. She had enjoyed a comfortable middle-class childhood. Along with her sister and two younger brothers, she had been looked after by a nanny and then taught at home by governesses. At 16, she had been sent to a finishing school for five terms, sporty and headstrong. Nina had a keen sense of adventure and was popular with young men she met, while her sister was more reserved. As a male friend's rush to enlist, Lust had been determined to play her part in the war effort too. As soon as she was old enough, in early 1915, she had enrolled as a VAD, or as a member of a voluntary aid detachment, working as an assistant cook at a country mansion in Hertfordshire. The move was prompted by necessity as much as anything else. Her parents' investments had declined in value during the war, so she needed to work. Nina had fixed her sights on uh, following Barbara to Endel Street. Yet, while Barbara was a born nurse, Barbara was Nina's sister, Nina would freely admit that she had neither the talent nor the desire for nursing. She had applied while working her 12-month state as a VAD with the hope of obtaining a clerical job. When a vacancy finally arose, Nina had rushed excitedly to London. The job interview had proved an alarming experience, since the two commanding officers, Anderson and Barry, 
struck with terror. Dr. Murray was a dust caught, Nina last wrote, and Dr. Anderson was severe. She was impressed, however, by the fact that both women had been active suffragettes. Although she had been too young to take part in the suffrage protests herself, Nina had admired the marching, chanting women from afar. Noting their pale, thin faces, no doubt made all the more gaunt by the strain of running Endel Street, she was convinced the two women bore the marks of hunger strikes. Despite her anxieties, Nina made it through the interview and been accepted for a month's trial as an orderly. Now, Nina Last was one of more than 120 lakh volunteers who walked in hospitals and convalescent homes in Britain and overseas during the First World War. The vast majority were members of the VAD scheme. Although the women were appointed uh, to nurse, clean, cook, carry stretchers and run the offices at Endel Street, they were actually directly recruited by Murray and Anderson. Many of them arrived there after serving as VAD. There, they were employed on much the same principles to do much the same work. Of course, I can go on with the daily routine of uh, the nurses and other workers at the Endel Street, but that's not the point. The point is simple enough. Women are moved as much by the desire to contribute to society, to its well-being, through science and technology and through serving the average citizen. Here's to Nina Last, Murray Anderson and the numerous women who had served the injured soldiers during the First World War in Europe and elsewhere. And here's to the numerous scientists, technologists and all women who've been soldiering day in and day out in the cause of science and technology. I look forward to seeing you next week with another equally fascinating episode from the past connecting us to this moment in the present. 